0: There's a, um, there's a guy I follow on Twitter um, who almost every single night uh, he writes a, a tweet or his last tweet of the day says this. It says, no matter how, he says, just a reminder, friends, no matter how it feels today, the light is winning. There are many days when I find that to be a really encouraging a comforting way to end the day that was a really powerful experience I'm glad that we did that um, what are your neighbors like I, I, I hate that I've done this to all of you but I actually do certifiably have the world's two greatest neighbors uh, on the one side um, is Harold he's an older guy retired we 've lived beside him for eleven years, and Harold is amazing it 's like having a third dad available right next door, uh, except unlike my actual real dad. Harold is really helpful around the house, which is nice. Um, this is like salt of the earth kind of guy i would i couldn 't imagine living where we live um, without Harold on the other side is Tomas Tomas is like an old world European kind of guy Tomás loves our family and has actually promised me knowing that you know we have four girls Tomás has promised that he would sit with me on the porch when when my girls start dating and be a part of the pre-screening process of uh, letting people into the house to date my daughters they uh, he, he's kind of concerned that as a pastor he doesn't think I will take that role as severely as it deserves to be played so he's promised to sit on my porch with a baseball bat or a long-handled axe whatever i prefer um in order to help with the pre-screening process i love my neighbor. oh because his problem is his neighbors on the other side he hated the guys that those girls brought home so he was like no i'm not i'm not letting that happen again so (laughs) i i love my neighbors but not everybody gets to have neighbors like like mine um I was doing some reading this week about neighbor feuds. Uh, There's a story out of Peterborough a couple of years ago. Uh, two women who got into a, a scrap over a uh, cat feces, as people do. One ended up... Um, In the hospital and the other ended up being arrested for assault after she sprayed uh, the woman in the eyes with the the substance of her her spray bottle. The woman fell to the ground and was screaming, my eyes are burning, right? Called 911. It was water in the bottle. But um, if you get that right in your eyes, boy, that could really really hurt. I read that in, in Holland, neighbor feuds are so common. They actually have a television show called the traveling judge, who goes around and actually offers legal decisions, uh, uh, legal rulings on neighbor feuds that are actually legally binding. You have to abide by what the traveling judge decides about your particular dispute. I'm not sure we're quite there as a country, but far and away from what I've read, Norway leads the way in neighbor disputes. Um. One article that I read said that each year in Norway, on average, $12.5 million worth of insurance claims are filed because of neighbor disputes. The the most extreme that I read, Uh, there was a bit of a boundary dispute between two neighbors, one of whom insisted that the other guy's house actually was 50% on his property. Of course, his neighbor vehemently disagreed with that decision or that uh, interpretation of the boundary line. So when his neighbor went on um, vacation to Spain the one time, this guy who was convinced his neighbor's house was on his property sort of took matters into his own hands and physically sawed the man's house in half. (laughs) I, I doubt... I doubt any of us have neighbors that are quite that intense uh, about boundary markers. But, um, but the thing about all of this, the one thing we all do experience, maybe not to that degree, we all experience conflict in our relationships. We all experience what we're calling this morning the mess of We the question is, how do you live in relationships that have staying power, that are deep and meaningful and significant, that are sustainable and sustaining for a lifetime maybe? How do you live in those kinds of relationships, given the mess that we often make of our relationships with each other? This is what we've been exploring for this entire month, relationships that have staying power. And we've looked at them from all sorts of different angles. we looked at the three behaviors that are required for relationships to have staying power. Togetherness, like being in touch regularly. Uh, communicating our affection, our appreciation and love for each other regularly in, in many ways. Um, an openness to in, invite other people into our relational space. It occurred to me this week that the word that covers all of that is hospitality. Just relational hospitality with people. We talked about the two character issues that are required for relationships with staying power. A humble teachability where others are allowed to speak into your life and you can grow into and become the person that God's created you to be. And a, an integrity of character where you're committed to being who you say that you'll be and doing what you say that you'll do. Last week, we talked about the impact of words on our relationship. Um, how relationships with staying power are built on people who use words sparingly um they're as jesus brother says they're quick to listen and slow to speak and as jesus brother goes on to say they're slow to get angry they use words considerately in a considered way they don't react emotionally but they respond to situations with words that have healing power um and it, and by the way it it As I think about this series, there's one qualification that I want to make about everything that we've talked about, and it's it's this. I had a couple conversations this week that that brought me to a place where I want to say out loud that the point of this series is not that anyone would be using what we've talked about to decide whether or not you're going to write somebody off in a relationship. Right? This isn't about saying, well, I don't have to be in a relationship with that person anymore because they're not the kind of person that we've been talking about this about. This whole series, first of all, is about you and not anybody else. It's about whether you or whether I am being the people God has called us to be in relationship. It's about how am, is God calling me to grow, not how can I judge somebody else for the way they don't live up to the stuff we've been talking about. And the second thing is, it's about discerning Within our relational sphere, which relationships are going to be the ones that we can lean into to be deep and significant and meaningful? And which ones are less likely based on um, the interactions that we have with each other? Another way to say the same thing. It's about identifying the places that our relationships need work to become the kind of relationships that God Desires them to be. And that question is nowhere more significant than when we think about the mess that relationships often are in our lives. What kind of people are we called to be in relationship with each other given the mess that relationships often end up becoming? Well, we're going to look this morning at Proverbs chapter 17 uh, from nine, verse 9 to verse 19. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up there. But I'm going to start. By reading Proverbs 17:11, which says this: "Evil-doers foster rebellion against God. The messenger of death will be sent against them. Evil-doers foster rebellion. Against God. Actually, a more literal way to translate that verse, the the phrase against God actually doesn't even appear in the Hebrew in which the verse was originally written. Literally translated, the verse says, The one seeking evil is eager for conflict, the one seeking evil is eager to be contentious. What the writer of the Proverbs means is that the kind of person in relationship, there are just some kinds of people who in relationship create contention and conflict all the time. Basically, the writer is saying, if you're the kind of person who's always fixing for a fight, if you're kind of the person who's just generally disagreeable and rude and, and you're the kind of person who, who makes people uncomfortable, you create tension in relationship. If you're the argumentative kind of person that's always looking to, to uh, quarrel about something. He says you're actually the kind of person who is seeking evil. The kind of person whose heart towards relationship is the exact opposite of the way God would right, want you to be postured. Towards relationship relationships are not built on people whose habit or whose pattern is to create conflict. In fact, those sorts of relationships are filled with pain. In fact, the, the verse says that the messenger of death will be sent against somebody like that. If you're the kind of person whose regular pattern in relationship is to be disagreeable or argumentative to create conflict or tension. You are going to end up experiencing the consequences of that kind of posture. The messenger of death is going to be sent against you. It's hard to know exactly what that means. The the word messenger could be a human being delivering a message, verbal or otherwise. It could be, um, it's the same word that's used in the Hebrew Bible to be an angel. Um, So is this divine punishment um, or is this earthly consequences? It's hard to tell. Um, Death isn't. The, the word that gets used isn't really the word that means to die. It, it's a word that means, you know, to experience cruelty or severity. The point of the verse is, if you live life in this posture of creating conflict, this posture of conflict is going to snap back on you. And you're the one who's going to suffer the consequences. When, when you enter into relationships as an argumentative, disagreeable, contentious person, you will create pain. You create pain for other people. The very next verse says this, better to be in a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool bent on folly. Better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool bent on folly. The fool, we've been saying throughout this series, is the person who lacks self-restraint or self-control. The person who doesn't have the self-discipline to make good and godly and wise choices in relationship. And the writer of the proverb says, you are better off being in a relationship or coming in between a mama bear and her cubs than you are being in a relationship with a contentious person who's argumentative and creates conflict. Um, I posted on, on Facebook this week a, a graphic. We'll, we'll put it up on the screen. Um, that I said on Facebook, I said, this basically summarizes the sermon in one graphic. It was called, How to Use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Against a Bear. <laughs> you can see seven uh, quick steps if you can read them. Number one, wait for the bear to make a move. Number two, when it attacks, duck and shoot in. Number three, take its back. Number four, it won't be able to reach you with its short arms. That's not really a step. I don't know what you're supposed to do there, but I feel like that's the only one I'd get right. Number five, go for a, real, uh, go for a rear naked choke, which is probably my f- favorite part of this whole thing. Number six, when the bear passes out, it will fall forward. You did it. And then number seven, now snap out of your fantasy and realize you died somewhere around step two. That's, that's what the writer of the Proverbs say. If you're going to be in a relationship with a contentious person, you might as well just choose to get into a relationship with a mama bear um, having just stolen her cubs. This is not going to go well for you. They're going to rip and tear you apart and they don't care who you are or what you've done um, contentious people just create pain and not just for other people for themselves too. The next verse says this evil will never leave the house of the one who pays back evil for good. I think that's a decent description of somebody who is a contentious person who creates conflict because it doesn't matter how the other person is postured towards you. They could be treating you lovingly and with patience and kindness I can be generous and compassionate towards you. And the commitment of a fool, of a contentious person, is to respond to that person by creating more conflict, by returning evil in response to their good, pouring darkness into the relationship. It's interesting. We kind of reserve the word evil maybe too often for the big, grand, global, awful evils that we see on the news for Hitler and, and for human trafficking these are evils in our world the kind of stuff that we saw in the video before but the whole point of not just that video but the whole point of talking about evil about the darkness is that that is exactly the same substance of stuff that creeps into our relationships when we choose to be contentious conflict creators with each other When we respond, evil for good, the proverb says, evil will never leave your house. You get to live and stew in the midst of the chaos and the hurt and the pain that you've created by being a conflict-creating kind of a person. The writer of the Proverbs would say, just don't be that person. If you want to experience deep, meaningful, significant relationships that are sustained and sustaining in your life. You just can't be that person. Jesus said it this way years later. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Those who have committed their life to creating peace rather than destroying it, they will experience the delight of God in their relationships. So how do you be that person? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Well, here's what the the Proverbs 17 says. In verse 17, it says this. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. A friend, a true friend, a staying power kind of friend is a person who loves at all times whose love is continuous regardless of the circumstances in which it finds itself. It's hard to read that phrase at all times. In the midst of a series of proverbs about conflict and adversity in our relationships, it's hard not to read that as a friend continues to love even in the midst of conflict and adversity. A friend's posture Towards the person with whom they are in relationship is love regardless of what they are getting back. Um, this, this word love actually literally translated means to breathe heavily. To kind of to be excited. Um, in various ways it's translated as to like, to delight in, to enjoy, to behave as a friend. The, the intent of it is to say this. A true friend delights in the prospect of being a friend, even when their friend isn't being a friend in return. Now, what, it, what it's not saying is that you delight in conflict, you love it when you're fighting with somebody else, or it doesn't even say that you have to like the other person in the midst of how they're behaving towards you. But what it, what it says is, I mean, just think about your very best relationships. Even when I'm, <clears throat> when I'm in the midst of a fight with my best friends or with my wife. And, and, I, and I genuinely, in the heat of the moment, don't even really like them that much. There is this deeper abiding sense that I still delight in being in a relationship with this person. That compels me in my better moments. To continue to love, to allow the love to be unwavering and unquestioned and unconditional at all times. It's a really powerful thought to me, especially if I think about all of the ways that we condition our love. Right? So many of our relationships, we love each other with a condition hanging on the end. I will love you at all times until... Until you let me down. Until you disappoint me. Until you won't listen. I will love you until you have made a choice that I disapprove of. Um, I will love you at all times. Unless... Unless we disagree about something that means a lot to me. Unless you refuse to be who I want you to be. Or unless you refuse to do what I want you to do. I will love you unless you get in the way of my agenda and my plans and what I want from my life. So much of our love is Conditional. And I'm telling you, friends, that until or that unless, whatever is the condition that we hang on the end of that phrase, a friend loves at all times, until or unless, that until or unless is from the pit of hell. That's demonic. That's an alternative to the way that God loves. Right? God loves us no matter what. And a friend loves Regardless of the circumstance, looks at everybody and says, you are worthy and deserving of the fullness of my love just because you are who you are. The second half actually presses it further and says a brother is born for a time of adversity. Um, We've talked even in this series about how in the ancient world, your family is all that you have. Right? Your family um, are those who are there for you in the midst of adversity. Actually, um, I, I said earlier on in this series that your family is everything. It's your emergency services. That's your police department, fire department, and paramedic. Your family is your insurance policy, your health insurance, your life insurance, your disability insurance, your employment insurance. Your family is your financial institution. That's your savings plan and your retirement plan. Your family is everything. And in the midst of adversity. And turmoil and conflict. Your family are the ones who bubble to the surface. That's when blood flows thicker than water. That's when family proves themselves to be family. They're born for that moment to be there for you right at that moment. But here's what I think. I think this verse goes deeper than that. It's not just saying, uh, your family's really useful to have around. They, they kind of rise to the occasion when you're in the midst of trouble. I think you can press the verse further than that. And it's saying that it's in the midst of adversity that your friend becomes family. I was thinking this week back to 2001. Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg made a mini-series about World War II. It was about the 506th um, Regiment of the 101st Airborne Division. And it was called, what? Band of Brothers. It was about these total strangers who were thrown into this regiment together. And who fought together for the duration of the war and who in the process of engaging in the adversity of war together became family to each other. And I think that's true even in the midst of adversity within the relationship. I think the two people who love each other deeply enough to love at all times, even in the midst of adversity, to become people who stick with the relationship, even in the midst of conflict, who are willing to sort through the mess of we. Surviving a conflict with your friend has the power to turn your friend into family. That's the kind of person who survives the mess of we, the one whose love is undaunted and even deepened and enhanced by their commitment to to having the relationship endure through the adversity of conflict. What does that look like? Well, it's not very complicated um, when it comes to the writer of the Proverbs. Uh, Basically, um, his advice is this, don't pick a fight. Just don't, don't do it. In verse 14, it says that starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. It's an interesting metaphor. Uh, A couple of months ago in California, the dam of the second largest reservoir of water in the state developed a breach. There's about a 200 foot hole in the dam that actually threatened the integrity of the entire structure. In fact, California, as soon as they discovered the hole, the state of California issued an evacuation warning to 200,000 people who lived below the reservoir. Basically, they came to everybody's door and they said, grab whatever fits in your car and drive to save your life now. It's interesting because a 200-foot hole doesn't, I mean, it seems like a massive breach, but in it's about 61 meters in the light of the fact that the reservoir itself is 269,000 meters around. 61 meters is a pretty small hole. Um, the amount of water that would, would make it through that hole initially pales in comparison to the 4 plus trillion liters of water that that reservoir holds. And yet that tiny breach in the dam has the potential to wreak devastation on 200,000 lives. That's the point of the writer's making. That's what happens when you pick a fight. That's what happens when you decide to fight about something stupid and small you run the risk of creating a situation that can no longer be contained and actually threatens uh, a destruction that well exceeds the scope of the issue. I mean, just ask yourself this question. When was the last time you fought about something stupid, about something small? If I were to, you know, think about my own relationship with Krista, the smallest thing that I pick a fight about in my relationship with Krista, and I pick it too frequently— is about whether or not she's willing to collapse cardboard boxes before she puts them in the recycle bin. Because if she doesn't, then at the end of the week, when before I can take the recycling out, I probably have to spend two full minutes collapsing cardboard boxes. And I hardly think that's right. We have started fights. I have started fights in my marriage about collapsing cardboard boxes. What is the smallest fight, the fight about the smallest, stupidest thing that you've ever started that ended up actually having seriously destructive consequences in the relationship? This is the writer's point. Just don't do it. Don't start the fight. It's not worth it because starting a fight about something small actually runs the risk of allowing it to become something massive and destructive beyond anything that anyone can control. His solution to being the kind of person who can build relationships with staying power despite the mess of we is just don't pick the fight. What about when somebody picks a fight with you? He says, don't don't. Buy in. In verse nine, he says this, whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. What about when somebody offends you, when somebody sins against you? What about when somebody insults you? The writer says, well, you have a choice. You can not let it go. That's what he means when he talks about repeat the matter. You can continue to bring it up and harp on it and go back to it over and over and over again. Someone once said to me, whenever I fight with my spouse, she gets historical. <laughs> you can keep repeating it. You can keep picking at the scab. You can keep going back to the injury. You can indulge it in your spirit. You can indulge it in your soul. You can continually bring it up in the conversation. You know what's going to happen? You will destroy a relationship. The, the person that does that separates close friends. Or what you can do is just cover it over. Conceal it, hide it, put it away. Just think about what it means to participate in a cover-up. What's a cover-up? When somebody has behaved inappropriately and everybody around them conspires to make sure that nobody ever finds out, that it doesn't have the destructive uh, consequences that it otherwise should have. The writer of the Proverbs is saying, if somebody sins against you, you become a participant in the cover-up. Just cover it up. The the idea of covering up an offense becomes metaphorical in the jewish scriptures for forgiveness. what the writer of proverbs is saying is somebody sins against you just don't take the bait forgive and forget. now does that mean you'd never address stuff cuz i can understand why somebody would be nervous, right? that i would say, you know, a friend loves at all times that that even though something somebody is behaving inappropriately towards you or creating a mess of your relationship. You're just going to continue to delight in being a relationship with them. When they offend you or sin against you or insult you, whatever, you're just going to cover it up and move on. I I can hear people being nervous because there are some relationships where that's actually a really dangerous thing to suggest. If you're in an abusive relationship, if you're being mistreated or neglected, if you're being taken advantage of by another human being, what I'm not suggesting is that you just smile and move on. That you pretend it doesn't exist, that you just cover it up and hope it goes away. No, don't do that. If you're in an abusive relationship of one kind or another, you need to confide in somebody you trust and then go seek the help of people who can help you be safe while you figure out if and how this relationship can be repaired so that it can become the kind of relationship we've been talking about throughout this entire series. You don't ignore it. In fact... The writer of the Proverbs says in verse 10, a rebuke impresses a discerning person more than a hundred lashes a fool. The writer of the Proverbs acknowledges that there are times when you have to head on confront behavior that is being addressed towards you that is inappropriate and conflict creating. In fact, we've come across this in each one of the three or three of the four weeks of this series. We we read a verse that said faithful are the wounds of a friend. That sometimes it's you're called upon to wound your friend. With a rebuke to point out behavior that is not acceptable in them. And if you're a true friend and they are a friend. What the writer says is your wounding will be faithful. It comes out of your faithful commitment to them. And it will be faithful to produce fruit in them. Last week we read about words that pierce like a sword. We said no don't do that. Choose words that are healing. But sometimes words that pierce can bring healing. My wife, uh, this past Monday, was discharged from the hospital after a nine-day hospital stay. She had her eighth um, surgical intervention because of a collapsed lung. For an eighth time, a surgeon pierced her with his scalpel and cut her in order to create healing. Sometimes we need our words to do that. That's what the writer's talking about here. That there is a a form of rebuke. If you're in a relationship with the kind of person we've been talking about all this month. There is a way of approaching with healing words. There is a way of approaching a rebuke of inappropriate behavior. That actually has the power to change a person's character. To change their life. To change the trajectory of your relationship. And sometimes it doesn't. It says... A rebuke impresses a discerning person more than a hundred lashes of fool. Sometimes the consequences of a person's inappropriate behavior have to become much more severe in order for them to get the message. But the point of the writer is this if we're going to build relationships with staying power, if we're going to keep the darkness out of our relationships, If the light is going to win in the way that we relate to each other, we're going to be people who love unconditionally at all times. People who demonstrate the self-restraint and self-control, who have the self-discipline to make the good and wise and godly choice of not initiating a quarrel and not responding to an offense. We're going to be the kinds of people who learn to navigate the mess of we in healthy and positive ways such that on the other side of our relationship, the ways that we've grown together by navigating the adversity in our relationship through that process, friends become family. May God build into us the kinds of relationships that we've been describing all month, the kind of relationships of which it can be said that the light is winning. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to be the kind of person we've been talking about this month. I want to be the kind of person who experiences and who expresses the power of relationship, of we together. Who has the kind of character growing in me by your spirit because of Jesus Christ to become the sort of person that can nurture those kinds of relationships. I want the Holy Spirit to be in control of my mouth and the words that I speak. I want the Holy Spirit to be the source of my every response in the midst of conflict and adversity and the messiness of relationship with each other. Such that people could look at the kind of relationships that we have with each other within our community and see the light of the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ lived out for real in the love that we share with each other. Would you make us into that kind of community? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.